Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message that Tom Job gave on Sunday morning, July 4th, 2021, speaking from the book of Philippians in chapter 4. Guys, I wanted to read to you out of... Um, this comes from the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. That we've been talking about just like... Basically, like a guy having a tough time and how he had like such an amazing attitude all the time. And it had to do with something. I mean, just that certain people are aware of of like invisible realities all around them. I just I just called them the invisibles. Like, what is it that he knew that other people don't know that he could have this amazing attitude? So I wanted to read you this. Um, I'm on steroids today. So if (laughs) anything I say does not necessarily reflect the views of the management of this station, but. Um, it's in verse 10 of chapter 4. I rejoiced greatly because some people had, well, the Philippians had, he was in prison, so they had given him money. And um, because even if you were, they gave him money for like his missions, but even if you were in prison, you had to pay for like your food and TP and stuff. And so they were sending him money. And he said, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. You were concerned, but you didn't have any opportunity to show it. But I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm in need. Like I'm not trying, I'm just thanking you. I'm not trying to get you to give me money. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in in and every situation, whether it's well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Lord, help us to understand this. A lot of us need strength. Uh, and we need to know not really where to get it, but from whom to get it. So help us to know how to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I realized this week that, like, when I grew up as a ki- kid, as when I grew up as a kid, I think that's how everybody grows up, but um, that I didn't know any v- Bible verses. I didn't know anything about the Bible at all because I didn't grow up memorizing them. And the, I, the first scripture I ever knew was Luke chapter 2 from um, a Charlie Brown's Christmas. We watched it every year. And then, but I realized that this was the second verse I ever, what number is it? The second verse I, verse 13 of Philippians chapter four was the second verse I ever learned because when I was in high school, I was trying to find Jesus and I didn't know where to find him and I didn't know anybody that knew him and I didn't know any books to read and there was a book called The Power of Positive Thinking that I don't even know how I found out about it by a guy named Dr. Norman Vincent Peale Um, and like a hundred billion people read this book and um, but it's basically, and I thought, I can learn how to know Jesus in that book, which he, no, he doesn't talk about it. But, um, but it's basically like, if you think positive, like if you think power, uh, positive thoughts, you can do anything. You can do anything. You just have to be positive and think positive thoughts. And he had this verse and he, then there, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And so he said, say that 20 times every day and you can do anything that you just think you can do it. You can do it. And I thought, this is, I don't know. I, I've never really, I thought now, like, I mean, through Jesus, I can speak Norwegian. No, I think you can't. You know, you just can't do anything. Like if you if you watch the Olympics and you think I could do that, you can't. You cannot. You cannot do that. We were, you know, the things that they do. We were. Oh gosh, one day we were all a bunch of us were having lunch together, and I said, you know what? I could bench press two hundred pounds, and I believed I could. And they said, you cannot. I said, I can. I can two hundred. How hard could it be? I can do it. And they said, let's let's go. So we just left and went down to the national fitness. 
And the when they put the only thing that stopped it was my sternum, like <laughs> going down. And uh, um, I could do 120, so still three figures, so pretty good. But like if you look at the high jump, uh, when they do the high jump, you know, back when I was a kid. Everybody did the, the way people did the high jump, like all high jumpers, was they would run up to it and then they would kick their leg and they would go over like face down. But in 1960, like seven, there was a guy in Eugene, Oregon named, named um, Dick Fosbury. He was a high school kid and he could do five feet, which was not nothing. And um, so he started doing this thing where he would kind of do a scissors kick over it and then he started leaning back and then he just started going like backwards head first. And people are like, what is he doing? And they called it the Fosbury flop. And he, and he, in high school, he went from doing five feet to doing six, eight. And people thought. And so in 1969, they had the NCAA track championships at UT. And I went, I was a sophomore in high school. And we watched Dick Fosbury do the Fosbury flop. And we thought, I could do that. <laughs> and, um, so we would, all of us kids, we'd get a mattress, like an old mattress out of the house and put it on the ground and put it on about four feet. We'd made a high jump thing. And you, you can do it, um, but you can only do it once, uh, like <laughs> maybe per month. But so you can't do every, I think Jerry Seinfeld said the only Olympic event that you could probably win a gold medal and not even want to be in it is like that luge, that one man luge where you're going like feet first down the, I don't want to go, shut up. And you, you, know, you win the gold medal. But, um, but that's really not Paul, what Paul was talking about. You can't like do anything. But what he was saying is, you know, um, I can go through anything. Like whether, like, you know, he's like, if I have to be poor, um, it doesn't matter to me. I can, if, I ha if I'm hungry, I'm great. If I have plenty to eat, I'm great. If I have more than enough, or if I have less than enough, I am completely great with that. I can do anything. If I don't have as what other people have, if I can't do what other people do because I don't have the money to do it, if I can't go where other people go because I can't afford it or whatever, Everything's okay. Like, I have like a ton of joy, even though I might not have as much as other people do. There's tons of people who, because I have Jesus, I have like tons of joy. There's people who have like more than anybody has and they don't have joy. There's people who have Jesus and they don't have joy. There's people who have tons of stuff and have Jesus and they're not joyful. And he's like, I don't, you know, even if I don't have anything, I'm super joyful. I'm super content. Um, I'm fine. If like if I have to be poor, I am fine with it. Um, I'm not fine with. It. I mean, I don't think it's good to be fine with everybody's poverty. I mean, I think there are people who are poor because of disadvantages that are not their fault, and I think that you know it would cost it would cost, for. 800 kids are going to die today under the age of five because they don't have clean water. In the world, it would cost $120 billion to have clean water and clean sanitation for every child, every person in the world. We spend $470 billion a year in America on gambling. 
I don't know if we should be fine with that. You know, it's like in Isaiah chapter 58, God says, you know the kind of worship I really want? When you see hungry people and you feed them and you see people who are wandering around and they're poor and you give them shelter and people who are naked and you, and you clothe them. And when you spend yourself for the hungry and for people who are oppressed and for the rights, if you, for the rights of the oppressed, then your light is going to shine like the dawn. It says in Proverbs chapter 21, speak up for people who can't speak up for themselves. Speak up for the rights of the destitute. Speak up for the rights of the oppressed and the poor. You know, I was, I was reading, I've been reading about, you know, like it's a day we celebrate brave Americans. And I think about brave, like a brave, uh, brave I've been reading a lot about, um, I don't know, just the Underground Railroad and how people um, really gave their lives to help s slaves who were escaping get to places where they would be safe. There was a, an African-American who was a bus driver. He drove a horse-drawn bus in Washington, D.C. named Leonard Grimes. And it was so awesome because he could just drive escaped slaves. They would get them clothes so they looked dressed up, you know, dressed like normal people and drive them straight through the city. And then, but he got arrested and spent two years in prison where he found Jesus. And then he became the pastor of the 12th Street um, Baptist Church in Boston for 27 years. But there was a guy named um, Calvin Fairbanks who came from, he was a Methodist, all of the people, all, all of the abolitionist, of people who fought for the abolition of slave, slavery in the United States, the one thing they had in common is that almost all of them were Christians and almost all of them were what we would call evangelical Christians. He was a Methodist pastor. He wound up, came to Kentucky to work in the Underground Railroad, got arrested, spent four years in prison, went right back to it, got arrested again and spent 15 years in the Kentucky Penitentiary in Frankfort, Kentucky. There was a guy, a guy named Levi Coffin who was from Greensboro, South Carolina. He was a Quaker, but he made a lot of money in Ohio. And then he bought a big house in Cincinnati, and he was involved in helping to rescue 4,000 slaves. They called his house the Grand Central Station of the Underground Railroad, and he was the president of it. But there are people like that that I just like. There's a, like one of the people that's just always been my favorite, one of my favorite people in the world was a man named Casper Ten, Ten Boom, and he and his daughters, and their uh, another daughter and a son-in-law and his grandson, they became involved like when the Nazis invaded Holland in 1940 and they discovered that their Jewish neighbors were disappearing and they, so they started to hide them in this quirky house that they had. He was a watch repairman, watchmaker and a repairman. And he was in his mid eighties and they were in there, his daughters were unmarried in the upper fifties. They wound up saving the lives of 847 Jewish people that they hid. But there was a, there was a one day at the kind of at the beginning of it, there was a mom and a, and a baby and they realized they could not keep them there long because that baby was crying and it was, they were going to be found out. And Corey was praying about it. And she, one day a pastor knocked on their door who lived out in the country. And she said, there's the answer right there. 
And he came in and he had a, she said, okay, the piece that you are looking for, it's going to be hard to find, but we're going to find it. Pastor, can I confess something to you? And she said, he said, okay. And he said, she said, I'm looking for something too. And he said, what? I'm looking for a place to put a mother and a baby. Will you keep them in your house? They're going to be caught. We're all going to be caught. And he said, Fraulein Tenboom, are you involved in this? Are you involved in this secret clandestine business? And she said, I'll be right back. And she went upstairs and got the baby from the mom and said, I'll bring him right back. She carried this baby down, uncovered his face. She looked on his face and there was a mixture of compassion and fear. And he said, I can't lose my life over this Jewish baby. And her 84 year old dad walked in the room and said, give the baby to me. It would be my greatest honor to give my life for a baby of God's chosen people. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, you could be that guy. You're like, you know, be that guy. Oh, so, but, but Paul said, I mean, but he said, yeah, there's poverty I'm not okay with, but if it's my poverty, like, I'm totally fine with it. And, you know, because he said, um, you know, if I have enough, I don't have enough. If I'm, if I'm well fed or not, it's just like, I'm totally fine. I have joy no matter what. I have joy no matter what. He said, I have learned the secret. There's a secret. I've learned the secret of being content in any, whatever happens to me, I'm just content. I've got enough. And um, so the word secret, the word I've learned the secret, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a word where that means to keep your mouth shut. But it's where the word mystery comes from. But so some scholars say it was a word that was used of kind of secret clubs, like secret societies where you would just wink or something and people knew you were in it and people could tell they were in the club, but other people didn't even know about the club. And, you know, that kind of thing that people had. And he's like, there's a club I'm in. It's a club of people who know a secret about Jesus. And you know it's true. Like, you know that there are certain people, the most joyful man I've ever known in my entire life, probably in retirement, had less than anybody I've ever known. And, but he just was like, so it was like he knew a secret. There are certain people who know secrets. Like, well, to tell you the honest truth, Corey Ten Boom, her sister Betsy knew it. I don't know if Corey kind of really knew it. She loved Jesus, but her sister had like a faith that was just like, she was just so joyful all the time. That when, the, when the Nazis invaded Poland, on, they started to hear, they were in bed, Corey and Betsy were in, in, in bed, and they heard bombs falling, so they got up. Well, the, Corey got up, and then, and went downstairs, and was watching from the window, and there were like dogfights of the planes overhead. And she called Betsy, and said, Betsy, come down. Betsy came down, and they watched for a while, and they prayed together, and then they went back into their bed. And there was, there had been like a plane had exploded, and a piece of metal, like a pipe, had pierced through, or broken through a window, and gone right into the pillow where Betsy would have been laying. And Corey said, Betsy, if, and Betsy said, no, no. There are no ifs in God's world. There is no place in this world that is any safer than any other place. The only place that's safe is in the will of God. And so they, well, when they were all arrested, they went to jail and then, and then this is Betsy. So 
there's a, they went to jail, and then they, after about three months, they were separated, and then they were, Betsy and Corey, their dad died in 10 days, and Betsy and Corey went to a concentration camp right outside of Holland called Volt, and they, and they found themselves, they were, they were on the train together, and they hadn't really known where each other were, so they were on the train, and they went to this place, and so they wrote, they, and they, there's a letter that both of them wrote on June the 6th to different people, and so, and Corey's letter said, you know, it's, it's, you know, we don't get to witness as much as I thought because there's so much bitterness and cynicism and communism and deep sadness and our health is good, but my hair is gray and life is hard. I felt feel like I've been drafted into that harsh German army. And then Betsy wrote, this was her letter. Corey and I were together on the train. We enjoyed it immensely. We're so grateful to be here. We eat and sleep side by side. We're so happy. We've had physicals, we're fine. We get up at five o'clock, we wear overalls and wooden shoes. It's so fun walking around in wooden shoes. Every day by night, we're experiencing thousands of miracles. Oh, she said, Yesterday, how, so many blessings. Cheese and butter, washed a blanket, cabbage soup. We enjoyed the beauties of nature, the sky so much, the weather is cold. It's just right. Every day, sunshine. We're having amazing strength for this harsh life. And you know there's people like that. Like, they know a secret that I don't know. And so Paul said, I've learned this secret to be content with no matter what's happening. And it's not, and it's because, uh, it's because of Jesus. Like, I can do all things through Christ, through Jesus who strengthens me. And it's like, well, okay. So what is that secret? Like if you're, so let's say you're poor, like you don't have what other people have or you kind of feel like I don't have enough right now. And, but I have Jesus. So is it the fact that like Jesus died for like all my sins and he, you know, he was like tortured for me and that's really, you know, I might not have what I want, but that's, that's really kind of what I deserved. I deserved to be nailed there in the dark hall, you know, forever and ever. And so if I don't have as much as I want, yeah, but at least I didn't get that. And that's what I deserved. And, I, and I'm going to heaven one day. And, and also the fact that like when Jesus died for me, he took all my guilt and he took away all my like disqualifications, all of my disqualifiers, all my disqualities. And now I can just talk to God about anything I need. And, and you know, when it comes to like, you know, usually people that don't have enough and they are discontent, they, um, lots of times it's because they're comparing themselves to other people, but it's like, I'm a child of the King of Kings. I mean, I don't, come on, let's compare it. I mean, you know, like I got, you know, I'm a child of the, I might not have much stuff, but I belong to him, so I don't feel that way. Because Jesus died and rose again, is that what he's saying? And it's like, I don't know if that's really a secret. Like that's, we're supposed to tell that to everybody. It feels to me like it's something else. And when, that's, it's like that some people know who know Jesus and other people don't know. But there's a place, but what Paul really says is I can do all things. I can do, I can go through anything through, through him. Who, who, it's the word in, inside and the word power, who's in, he's giving me strength from within. And when it says I can do all things through Christ, it's, it's, a, it's a real common preposition, but it can also be translated with Christ, together with Christ. Jesus is with me and I believe it. 
I believe he's present with me. That's something I think that a lot of Christians who believe in Jesus, they might believe that, but there are other Christians who believe it better than they do. They believe it more than they do. They believe, I believe Jesus is right here like right now. I believe he's with me all the time. I believe I'm going to make him my best friend. I believe I'm going to talk to him about everything. And if I go into something, I'm going to talk to him first about it. And if I'm in the middle of something, I'm going to talk to him most about it. And when it's over with, I'm going to talk to him first and last about it. I just, I'm going to invite him into all my thoughts. I'm going to let, I'm going to think them through with him. I read something the other day about a psychologist, a psychologist who said 70% of the thoughts you think today, you thought yesterday and you thought them the day before that. And it's a loop that goes on in our brain. And usually it's discouraging stuff or judgmental stuff or complaining stuff. And it just goes around and around and around. And I'm going to invite him into that. And I'm going to ask him, what do you think about this? Should I be thinking about this? I want you to be my best friend. I want, um, I want to talk to you first. And I want to listen to you. You know, there's a thing. It's like a secret club of people who know how to do that. Like who actually believe that Jesus is with them. And they talk to him all the time. There's a, um, this is something, this is a little bit of a, I don't know what you'd call it. It's a little bit of a, it's kind of a discovery I made in like my Greek studies, but it is, it was cool for me. But so like in the New Testament, the word love to love someone, there's two words. There's the word agapao, where we get the word agape. And then there's the word phileo. And the word phileo means to be a friend, like to love someone like you're great, you're just great friends. Agapao means to care about, care about people, care about everyone the way Jesus cares about us. So we are told that we have to love everyone, love all of the people who love Jesus and everybody in the world. With that word agapao, care about them, 43 times we're told we have to care about people. The word phileo, to be friends with people, you're never told you have to be friends with anyone. You get to pick your friends. Um, I was trying to be friends with someone one time and it just wasn't working. And then I realized, oh, this person doesn't like me. Oh, I can't be friends with someone who doesn't like me. I think I'll quit <laughs> trying to do this. You know, and so it, it made me realize that like when there are certain people you can't be friends with them because they don't like you and you should, probably shouldn't be with some friends because you know, they don't like you. So, um, I, I, so I came up with a thing and I said, you have a bill of rights when it comes to friendship. If you're gonna be my friend, I mean, I love you. I love everybody. I'm gonna love everybody. But to really be my friend, uh, there are some things. One, you have to respect me. Two, you have to like me as much as I like you. Three, you have to care about this friendship as much as I care about it. I'm not going to be the only person building into this thing. I can't do it by myself. And four, I have to trust you. You can't lie to me. And so when I thought about that, I, th I know Jesus loves all of us. John, the disciple, called himself the disciple Jesus loved. He usually used the word agapao, but one time he used that other word. I'm the disciple that I'm Jesus's friend. He considers me his friend. And Jesus loves everyone, but I felt like, is he friends with all of his kids? I don't, I don't know, he would be. You know, it's like people say, Jesus loves you just as you are. And it's like, well, I might tweak that a little bit. Like I might say, Jesus loves you 
and you are the way you are. But he may not love like all of that, like all of it, but it's, but it's almost like Jesus, like if we're gonna really be friends, you have to respect me. You, like if, I'm, if Jesus is gonna be friends with me, I have to respect him. Like it has to be the real Jesus. It has to be the Jesus who, who says the words that he says about being meek and loving your enemies and not saying things that are judgmental or hurtful. I've got to respect that one. It's got to be the real Jesus, who the Jesus of his ways and the Jesus of his words. And I have to like that. I have to like him. I have to like that about him. I have to like the real Jesus. And I have to care about that relationship as much as he cares about it. I have to spend time with him. I have to talk to him. I have to listen to him. And I can't lie to him about who I am. I have to be honest. But there, there are people who are that way. They listen to him. They talk to him. And they listen to him. And they care about that relationship as much as he cares about it. And they like him as much as he likes them. They like the real Jesus, not the one they're making up in their mind, but the real one. It's kind of a thing. It's kind of a mysterious thing. Like it says in uh, Psalm 47, the Lord is our refuge and our strength. Whenever people are looking for a refuge, it's, it's, it's kind of a hiding place, a place where you hide. Whenever people have, well, when people are addicted to things, like when they have like alcohol abuse disorder, or if they have drug addiction, or if they have like pornography addiction, one thing that all addictions have in common is that they're hiding places. It's a place where somebody's getting away from pain or a feeling that they don't want to feel, and that's where they run. And there's nothing wrong with that, as long as you go to the right hiding place, as long as Jesus is my hiding place, and that's where I go, that's where I run. It says in, in, in John 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine. It's like a trunk of a, of a, of a grapevine. I'm the trunk, you're the branch. Abide in me. What does that mean? That, do that. What? What that stick is doing, just stick, be stuck like a stick. I don't know how to say it. You know, I, one time I said, abiding in Jesus, like a, brine, a, vine, a branch in the vine, it's like, it's living in the presence of Jesus by the power of Jesus for the pleasure of Jesus, whatever. Okay, but it's just that thing. I don't, have to, I don't know how to say it to you. What a stick does in a trunk, do that to Jesus. Just stick to him. There, that thing, whatever it is. I can't, if you don't know, I can't tell you. You know what I mean? Oh. But anyway, and there's people who know that. And I want to be a member of that club. I want to be a part of it. Oh. And I know you do too. We can, when, when Casper Tinboom and Corey and Betsy and their grandson Peter were arrested and they took them to the gym in down the street in uh, Harlem in the Netherlands and they were, and, and Casper was reading from the book of Psalms and he read Psalm 91. And Peter said normally when he would read the Bible to like the family in the morning to start the day, first he would read like if he was reading the Psalms, he would read it first out of the Hebrew Bible, then out of the Dutch Bible, then out of the German Bible, and then out of the English Bible. And so, but he was, and Peter said, I saw him reading to, to everyone Psalm 91, where it says no harm 
will befall you. And he will give his angels to guard you. And I thought, you didn't do that. Why didn't you? Now look at where they are. You said you would do that, and you didn't do it. And then he looked at Casper Ten Boom's face, and he said that he had a peace that I had never seen in my life. And I thought, you did do that. This is not harming him in any way. He knows a secret, and I want to learn it. Lord, help us to learn it. Help us to be your friend, to be friends with you, that you would become our best friend, that people would look at you and say, look at us and say, what is it? You just got something. Um, I feel like you know someone I don't know. I feel like you get help that I don't have. I feel like um, you know a secret that I want to know. And it's Jesus, my best friend. If we don't talk to you much, teach us to do it. If we don't listen to you well, teach us to do it. If we're not close friends with you, you're waiting for that. You died and rose for that. Help us to know it in your precious name. Amen. Are you weary, heavy Tell me everything.